0: Morgen, That's the Germans. The Germans. All right. Okay. Uh, can I? I need a question. I need a question to be answered first before I begin. Uh, sixth graders or middle school. When do you guys talk about sex in high school or in in middle school? I'm sorry. No, no, no. When is sixth, When is sex ed? When is sex ed? Fifth grade. Okay. You guys are looking at me... You guys are looking at me like you've never heard of sex before. You learned it. All right. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, this isn't going to be new to anybody as far as the word having to do with sex. This message is having to do with sex, okay? So, you, since you have sex ed, I don't need to have your parents sign some permission slip or whatever, okay? If you, if you know that your parents don't want to hear... To have me speak to you about sex, then you guys can like, you know, cover your ears or go downstairs or that kind of thing, okay? Um, (laughs) What did he say? That's my own son. All right, so, uh, but we are going to be talking about sex, but we're not going to go into the details because that's not the point, all right? You guys will eventually figure out how that's done. All right, let's, let's, uh, oh, we haven't had the scripture reading yet? Hi, Shinaa.
1: Some <laughs> Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's
0: my God. Oh,
1: haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning the Creator made him made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Or but woman. What God has joined together.
0: Uh, Make sure the volume's on for the video.
1: So I find that there's a ton of talk right now in the world with my friends, with my family, my neighborhood about sex and about what sex is. And I also find, at least as a follower of Jesus, that there's a chasmic gap between culture at large's definition of sexuality and God's definition. By that I mean from the scriptures, um, as Jesus would define it, as the biblical authors would define it. So basically, as I read it, culture at large defines sex as recreational play between two consenting adults. So it's just physical, it's just the biological coupling of two bodies for sexual release And what's the big deal? As long as it's between two consenting adults, if it's mutually pleasurable, I mean, what in the world is the big deal? It's just play for grown ups. And then the church often comes along and says, all right, here's all the rules. Here's where you can do it, and here's where you can't do it. But they buy into culture's definition of what sex is. And then basically say, well, you can do it, but only in marriage. And oh, by the way, only marriage between a man and a woman, not a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. And to most of us, that's just nonsensical. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you hear that and you think, what? what kind of crazy, uneducated, traditional, outdated thing is that? It makes no sense. But in reality, we have to get behind it to the definition of what sex is. So as I read the scriptures, as I read the teachings of Jesus, here's how I understand sex. In Genesis chapter 2, the word ekad is used, that in sexuality, two people become ekhad, or it can be translated one flesh, This is a graphic, weighty word that basically means, when it's put together with this word flesh, fused together at the deepest level. That in sex, a man and a woman come together and are fused together at the deepest level. It is the bonding of two people into one entity, body and soul, physical and spiritual, because there's no way to bifurcate the two. So it's actually a much higher view of sex than cultures. Culture basically says, hey, it's just play, it's just biological, what's the big deal? God says, whoa, 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 no. It's way more than that. It's two people who become one entity and then over and over again enjoy and express love for one another through sexuality. Now, inside of marriage, this is beautiful because it, it takes two people and it doesn't let them drift apart. It keeps them together. It keeps them at cod or one. But outside of marriage, this can be dehumanizing. Because it can turn people into objects for basically self-gratification. And then every time you walk away from a sexual partner, it's as if you tear and caught, as if part of you is lost, and you do that enough times, and it starts to hollow you out from the inside. So I, as a follower of Jesus, think that we need a higher view of sex than culture at large. is not a lower view. We need to get back to the mysterious, beautiful, powerful reality of what happens with a man and a woman
0: is that good no No? that's not good his shirt bothered you thank you for thank you for being real guys thank you for being real uh he this guy actually wrote a pretty good book on the definition of sex that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today have you how many of you guys ever heard his first definition culture's definition of sex where it's two consenting adults Enjoying one another. How many have heard that? It's pretty normal. Like if you, and it's, it, it might not even, people might not say it that way, but even the way they describe sex, or if you go to college and they talk about uh, uh, those seminars where it's like uh, when it's rape and when it's, when it's consensual, right? You ever heard of those seminars where they go and like, okay, if a woman says no, it's always no. Those kind of things. But they'll be talking about it's two consenting adults. That concept of sexuality, right? So... Just simply, right? We are going to be talking about why you should wait to be married before you have sex. But I don't really want you to just remember that. That's not the point. That's what we're talking about. That's the question we're going to try to answer. What I want you to remember is the high view of sex. I want you to remember the high view of sex. Say high view of sex. High view view of sex. I want when you guys walk out of here that you would have such a high view of sex um, that, that having sex with somebody that you're not married to, not committed to, not in a loving relationship to, you wouldn't even consider it because of your such high view of sex. That's what I hope. All right? So we want to change the view, the cultural definition of two consenting adults enjoying one another in adult play to God's view of a high, the high view of sex. Okay? So this is going to be kind of weird because we're talking about Jesus here and Jesus has a very, very specific view of sex. Let's go back to that passage. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any, uh, for any and every reason? Well, this is the problem at this time. The Jews, the Jewish men, they wanted to know, there was a lot of divorce going on, they wanted to know if it was lawful, if, they followed, if, if Jesus would follow the cultural rules. They were trying to trick him. They wanted to see what Jesus would say because they're starting to get into like, this dicey area. It's like when somebody asks a pastor on TV and says, well, what do you think about homosexuals? Are they going to hell? They are testing that pastor because they know what is culturally popular and what's culturally unpopular. In this day and age, divorce is totally okay. And so they wanted Jesus to speak on it because they knew that it would be controversial for him. Right? Right? But then Jesus brings them back to the word of God, the law, right? Which the Pharisees uh, uh, adhere to, love, believe in. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. Jesus is going back to the original creation story and saying this is how it all begins. This is the definition of marriage. This is the definition of sex. This is the definition of life. He says, goes back to male and and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Or vice versa. He'll leave his mother, uh, her mother, and be united to his, her husband. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. If you go to many, many, many weddings, this is the passage they will read. Especially verse 6. So They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no man put us under, not us under, but like rip it apart, right? But in many, many, many uh, couples in in, in America and, and actually the world, they don't understand what this is saying. They don't have a high view of sex. They don't have a high view of marriage. They don't have a high view of relationship. We have a couple of conclusions that come out of this, this text, okay? Number one. Jesus has the highest view of sex. He made mankind male and female for sex under the protection of marriage. Now, why is, how is this the highest view of sex? Because he said sex is so important that it needs to be in commitment. We talked about this a little bit last week. It needs to be in a protective coating called commitment to protect sex. United to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They will have sex and become one. Jesus has this extremely high view of sex. This is not pointing to just have sex with anybody that you want to or that anybody that's willing, anybody that's consensual. It's very much the opposite. To his wife, the two will become one. Jesus has an extremely high view of sex. He designed us in a way for two people to become one. Now, this is really, really, really interesting, because God is such a God of relationship. You see it in the Trinity. You see it in our relationships with one another. But sexually, there is no more thing that is more intimate physically that does something to us inside. When you become sexually active with some partner, right, you take the most vulnerable, the most intimate thing about you... And you pass it off to somebody else. The more you do it, the less it becomes valuable. The more you do it, the less it, it means anything. But when you do it in the context of marriage, how God has intended, this ultimate protectiveness coding called marriage or commitment, right? And sex within, and you pass it on to this partner, it transforms you and you become, from one person, you become, uh, from two people, you become one person. That is an extremely high view of sex. It, it, it means way more than two consenting adults. It means that something happens spiritually in you, and two become one. That is Jesus' view of sex. That is Jesus' design of sex. And we over-sexualize our culture so that everybody's talking about sex, 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 and all the songs, and, right, and all the TV shows. They have an extremely low view of sex. And it's very, very easy in our culture to say, well, you know, the church is old-fashioned, just like John Comer was saying. It's, the church is so old-fashioned, they don't understand anything about sex. No, they probably represent it imp- improperly. They probably don't give it the, the respect that it's due as far as sex is concerned. They're, they're afraid to talk about it, they get all embarrassed, they're afraid people are going to talk bad about the church if the church talks about sex. Right? But the very fact of the matter is that according to the scripture, we have the most precious view of sex. We value sex far more than our culture does. Isn't that weird? In our culture that's over-sexualized, they've cheapened it and made it trash. They've made it fast food. We make it a gourmet meal. Very, very different. Hold up, Joe. You get it? Jesus has a high view of sex. Number two, another, uh, um, another point that we can get from this. Jesus says that sex within marriage is God joining them together. This is God inviting through the physicality of human beings. This is weird. But through the physicalness of human beings, right, God joining two people and making them one. I don't know if you're a Christian or not a Christian or the people that you're going to talk to about sex know anything about Christ or or fallen Christ. But there is a transcendence that's God coming from heaven to earth and meeting us on earth when we have sex. Is that kind of weird to think about? That when you have sex with somebody, there's something spiritual going on, whether or not you're a Christian or not. It's the same thing as insolment. The reason why uh, Christians have a hard time with abortion is because they don't know when something called insolment happens. Does anybody know what insolment means? Insolment is when the soul enters the human fetus or the human being. They don't know when it happens at conception. When the, when the sperm hits the egg, boom, life. And then insolment happens, the soul, God delivers the soul. Here you go. Or it's when the baby starts to have a heartbeat or brain activity. They don't know when insolment happens. So therefore, humans, uh, Christians are not okay with humans being killed in abortion. Because that's the divine. That's the, that, that is the uh, transcendence of God coming down in human form in us. God coming down and giving us souls. It's the same thing as sex. And isn't it interesting that, that uh, when you take something like conception, where the ensoulment happens, that's the divine, the divine spark, the imago Dei, the image of God happening in a human fetus, is happening at the same time when we're actually having sex with our, with our wife or our husband. There's something divine wrapped up in sex. And it's the Bible's view, God's view, that it's high, it's a high view of sex. Not the world's view of sex. The world's view is I can sell sex. I can put sex on a movie or a video and I can put it on the internet and sell it and make money. I can have a sex with a guy because I want to keep him. Because he makes me feel some way. It can be selfish. You can use sex as a tool. You can use sex to sell something. The world has the lowest view of sex. But when you follow the biblical view of sex, sex doesn't just become some lust that you fulfill. It becomes life. And not just in in babies, but life between your spouse. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, None of you guys are married. Uh, My wife and I are married, so we're the only ones that can actually speak on this in this room, I guess. All right? So you're just going to have to trust us. All right? We're not going to talk about our sex life, okay? But we have five kids, so we're kind of good at... Okay, wait. All right. The next thing that we have, number three... uh, (laughs) I keep forgetting I recorded this, and my kids are here. Okay, so anyway, anyway... Number three, Jesus says that marriage is the building of a new family. Only in the safety of marriage can you introduce children well. This is the thing, right? Um, If you guys are really interested in this, or a psychology major, or you want to get into counseling, or maybe your parents are divorced and you feel like you're screwed up, a really good book uh, to read would be called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. This woman, this uh, researcher, she followed divorced kids their whole life for like decades, she followed their whole life. And all of the dysfunctions that they kind of they wrought from their parents divorcing were, were far, far, far more when they become adults. It's really fascinating. Like everyone's like, oh, you know, I get married. If it doesn't work, I'll just divorce. And they think that kids are going to be okay. If you are from a divorced family, that has affected your life. And not only has it affected your life, it will affect your children's life. It will affect your marriage. This is the reality of it. Brokenness begets brokenness. Brokenness does not beget health unless God comes in and fixes and heals. You, if you come from a divorced family, will feel the effects and so will your family from, from here on out. And now that can be a discouraging thing, right? But it's also something for you to think about as you get into marrying age. My family is screwed up. You guys know this. You heard my testimony. Most of you guys know my testimony. When I got married, you know what I decided? I took my cues of how to be a father from not being like my dad. Some of you guys, you know, asked me like, okay, you know, are you going to move to Augusta? Are you going to move to Augusta? And we're praying about it. We're trying to figure out what I'm going to do. But you know one of, the, one of the things that hangs me up about moving to Augusta is my kids. Now, some of you guys might be like, well, your kids shouldn't really rule your life and what you should do and all this kind of stuff. But the the idea is like, I don't have very much time with my kids left. Josiah's 15, he's turning 16 in a couple months. He's going to graduate high school and leave. Then Ella, soon after. Then Ezekiel, soon after. Then Ada, soon after. Then Eleazar, soon after. I have plenty of time to do whatever I want with my own time after my kids move out of the house. But before then, I don't. I look at Eleazar, he's my youngest, right? He's so cute. He carried a a stuffed animal to, to church today. How cute is that? I just want to squeeze him and then he makes me mad and then I want to kick him. But then I, I look at him and, you know, like, and I, play, I, I play with him and I hug him and I want to squeeze him. You know? I only have a certain amount of time left with my family. So, could I move to church and maybe become full-time as a pastor and then multiply in the ministry and do all this stuff? Yes. But my main priority is my own kids. And that's hard to figure out in this day and age because in this day and age people are ruled by whatever they want to do. They want a divorce. It's not working out. They divorce. What does that mean? It's an escape valve. Divorce is an escape valve. So you say, you know what? I dated the wrong person. I really thought she was hot. I wanted to have sex with her, but I want, I'm a Christian too, and, and she said she was kind of a Christian too, and I knew this was kind of red flags. People that were godly were warning me, but I still got married anyway, but I can get divorced if it doesn't work out. People think that all the time. Divorce allows you not to focus on doing relationship well. Divorce allows you to not focus on doing relationship well. If you know that divorce is not an option, and for the rest of your life you will be spending your time with one person, you're probably going to take relationships more seriously. When you think that your relationship with your wife is going to shape how your kids are going to turn out, how healthy they're going to be, Some of you guys are very, very broken, very messed up, dealing with cutting, dealing with uh, your sexuality issues, dealing with addictions, dealing with coping mechanisms that are really unhealthy. Some of you guys are depressed and dealing with depression. Some of you hate yourself. Some of you think about suicide. This is in this room here, by the way. A lot of that has to do with bad relationships, bad choices by your families and the circumstances that you grew up in. You need to think about in terms of what you're going to provide for your family. When I think about my kids, I think, I want my kids absolutely always to feel loved. As messed up and broken as I am, I want them to feel loved. I want them to know that they are valuable, that God loves them. I want them to be discipled. I want Josiah to know how to change brakes. He does. Because I spent time with him, made him change brakes with me a couple times. Changing oil. Buy a junkie car. I made him buy his own car. Why? Because that's part of what a dad does. I'm not going to buy you a hybrid car. Sorry if you guys have hybrids by your your parents buying you. He's going to buy it himself. Why? Because I want to do that as a dad. Force him to grow up to be a man. Disciple him and train him. Because that's my job. And so when you're talking about divorce, when you're talking about your family, Jesus says that marriage is the building of a new family. You think about it in terms of your sexu- sexuality going far beyond, or not sexuality, your, acts of, your act of sex going far beyond just that moment in time. I'm not going to warn you not to have sex before you're married because of STDs. STDs, people do bad things all the time. People eat Big Macs. That's bad. A lot of STDs you can cure. Big Mac you can't cure. I guess you could exercise. A lot of people do unhealthy stuff. I'm trying to go at it from a different angle. That your life, your progeny, the people that you're going to bear, give birth to, hopefully more than five, so I don't seem like a weirdo in this church. Right? They will go beyond you and they will take what you have learned and what you have valued. And when you value sex and you put it in marriage and you're, you're covenant with that, that woman, right? Your wife or your, your husband, then that continues to bear fruit too. So brokenness bears fruit, but so does health. So does God's plan. Is that good? Can, uh, oh, Accio Whiteboard. <laughs> Sean just said, ew. Sean, how old are you? 21. Can you act like it, please? No oohs. All right, this is called the triangular theory of love. I know. Last week, we had the, uh, the stools of sin. remember super kissing this is the triangular theory of love all right this is really important because this just breaks it down i'm not doing this as this is science i know there's a chart and graph up there michelle drew it but but this is helpful in in helping you to understand what relationships are okay so here we have this triangle can everybody see it over there can everybody see it over here Hey, I just want Jenny to see it. You guys are cool. Just kidding. All right, so this is the deal. At each corner, right, is a representation of some value or um, part of relationship. So you got intimacy. Intimacy isn't just sex. Intimacy is like telling each other your dreams, trusting one another, spending time together. My wife, she loves intimacy. Me? I don't know what that is. All right? No, I'm just kidding. I love intimacy too, but on dates. Um, So intimacy and then passion. Passion is sex or everything leading up to sex. It's the huffy and puffy. It's the super kissing. All right? And then beyond. Okay? Passion. Commitment. That's the promise. Now, commitment here does not mean I promise to love you for the rest of my life because that is called BS, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Do you guys know what BS means? Bad thank you all right all right commitment is you know why marriage is so scary even to people that do not believe in commitment nor do believe in marriage or believe in God marriage is hard because you get in front of all your family and if they're religious you have a religious ceremony saying before God I am going to take care of this person for the rest of my life even if they're sick and dying that's kind of intense Right? Marriage is a big deal. Marriage just costs a lot of money. Right? That's commitment. Commitment means I'm not just going to tell you because I promise you there have been many people that I thought I was in love with and I made stupid, lie promises to them. Because you know why I'm married to her right now? That's the promise I kept. The other girls, I did not keep my promise. And that is the reality. And many boys, especially... um, especially for uh, um, you young ladies. Many boys will come to you and they will say things and they might even mean it. That's what's so hard is because a lot of guys here, they really mean it. They'll make these promises to you. I love you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. You're the one, right? And they, they, I think that they mean it in their hearts, but without the commitment, it means nothing. Believe them after they put a ring on the finger. <laughs> you know, that Beyonce song. All right, so then you've got combinations. You've got combinations. Intimacy and passion. Intimacy and passion is a very, very, um, uh, this is probably the most common relationship. This is the boyfriend and girlfriend. This is the, the people that are cohabitating, the people that are living together, sleeping together. They're in love and they have sex. That's just really clear, right? They're in love emotionally and they have sex. That is an intimacy plus passion right? Then you got intimacy plus commitment. That is like really old people. They love each other, but they're too old to have sex. So they become like best friends. (laughs) They sit on the porch, drink tea, watch people go by, yell at people when they step on their lawn. (laughs) Right? Get out, you stupid kids, right? That's intimacy and commitment. They can't have sex, right? Now, this is the deal. I'm oversimplifying just so that you remember, okay? But a lot of people are like this, even that are my age. Because this is, this, is this is the deal, ladies and gentlemen. When men become stressed out, they have less desire for sex. When women, when they start having babies, maybe they're skinny and hot and all fit when they're, before they're married, but then they pop out some babies, and all of a sudden they can't get hot and fit again. And even if they do get really skinny, they still get like stretched skin and pouchy and chubby, and they just can't get rid of it and they feel very, very non-sexy as a woman, they will most, or they will have, it would be very difficult for them to have sex with their husband because they will be self-conscious about themselves. This is the reality of life. Right? This is the reality of life. And so a lot of them stop having sex. In their relationship, they, maybe they're still committed and they love one another, but they stop having sex. There's that, that, the lack of passion in their relationship. That is what intimacy and commitment. So do not think just because you're old... Um, uh, that's the only time this happens to you. It's just not true. Okay? Uh, And the last one is passion and commitment. Not the last one, but the last unhealthy one. Passion and commitment, right? That is called a shotgun wedding. Do you guys know what a shotgun wedding is? You have sex with a girl you hardly know. She gets pregnant. The dad knows who you are. He comes to you with a shotgun and says, you're going to make an honest woman of my, my daughter. So you better marry her right now. That's called a shotgun wedding. It happens still. Yeah. Um, and then they get married, and they have commitment, meaning they, they married, right? And they have passion, because the guy still just wants to have sex with her. But they don't have any intimacy. They aren't in love. They don't know each other. Does that make sense? That's that kind of relationship, okay? Now, this is the ideal. This is the goal, okay? The goal is all three. Intimacy, passion, and commitment. You got marriage. You know one another. You share your heart together, Right? and you have passion, you are hot for one another, right? Now, this is the deal. What what is unknown to many, many people is that all three of those things are a choice. You choose to be passionate. I know, that's kind of weird. Because you're, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, like, how do I, like, how am I to be attracted to my wife that I'm not actually attracted to anymore? It's a choice. How am I to be committed if I don't feel like the feelings are gone? I just don't love you anymore, I'm sorry. I thought you were my soulmate, but you're not. It's a choice, right? Intimacy. A lot of people just stop talking. My wife, she goes to school full time. I take care of the kids. I'm constantly grouchy, right? She's constantly studying and grouchy, right? So we're grouchy, and it's hard for us to be intimate, like talk about our lives and stuff like that. But we have to be very, very intentional about doing it. She's busy all the time, I'm busy all the time. But we have to stop and we have to talk. It's a a choice. It's saying that this is more important than everything else. All three together, and doesn't mean you're going to have it always. That's the problem. You will. You could start out with all three and be completely healthy and happy in your marriage, and then all of a sudden, passion slips out because one of you, because one of you, because you get pregnant. Your husband can't get pregnant, so it's not going to be one of you. One, of, <laughs> you, you get pregnant. You're, you're the woman. You get pregnant. Right? And the passion slips out because now, like, like I remember when my wife was like, um, we're not going to get into d- details, but when she was pregnant, like, I was afraid to have sex with her because, like, I was afraid I was going to hurt the baby or, like, it was just awkward. It was uncomfortable because there was a baby there. It's hard to be intimate. I'm like, hey, she turns. She's like, whoo. <laughs> because from the back, my wife is like, my wife has always been really petite and small, right? So her back just looks like normal, right? I'll be like, hey, lady. And she's like, hey, honey. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, no, no! <laughs> right? Because it was like traumatic. It was traumatic. It was like trickery. It was like trickery. You know. And, and and it's hard, but you still fight for it. Like every every part of this, you fight for it. And this is, and guys, listen. This is this is the this is part of. Listen. This is part of the high view of sex, because when you know that that passion has to be coupled with commitment and intimacy. It, le- uh, it, it puts up sex at a much, much, much higher level. Does that make sense? It becomes far, far more valuable because these two things, intimacy and commitment, are very hard to get. Am I right? You have like, young boys that have full of passion. Girls, too. Girls like sex, too. Full of passion, but they have no idea how to be intimate. Your, your relationship is totally on text message. Uh, you don't have face-to-face talks, and you're shallow, so you don't have anything to talk about. I like, I, like, uh, I like eating at Zaxby's. Like, that's your relationship, but you're having sex. You've got a problem with your only passion, right? Or you're 12, and you're in love, and you have deep intimacy. So you talk about everything in your dreams, and you're getting hot and heavy. Hopefully not at 12, that's creepy. <laughs> but you have no way to commit. That's why I tell you to, you know, to not start dating until you're able to commit, Right? When you're at the age where you're you know, financially able to commit or responsible to commit or you know, you're, you're out of your transition stage, then go for deep relationships because you can commit. Does that make sense? Now, this, is, this chart down here is just kind of to explain what, what ends up happening because each area acts a little bit different in your marriage. So passion, when you first get married or when you first start dating... It's like flatline, because you're not touching, you're not dating, you're not super kissing. Remember this one? The dishwasher, you're not doing the brace, okay, braces. Um, it's flat. You're not doing anything. But then when you get married, yes, it's on. Shoo, shoo, shoo straight up, right? And then it continues to get better and better and better. In, the, in fact, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of statistics that show that women that are monogamous end up having... Fa- six Sex is a lot better if you're together, okay, for a long time. And then this is what happens when you, when, if you're not, right? You, uh, if you're not uh, um, committed to passion, right? It starts really, really high. Every time you see her, you want to jump her bones. But then over time, it continues to t- deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate, right? I'm telling you, passion is a choice. When you become older, when you come 30s and 40s, and you, you stop choosing, then... There's really nothing that will happen. But if you continue to choose, your, your, uh, your passion will increase. Intimacy, it's very, very similar. But uh, if, you're not, if you're not committed to intimacy, what ends up happening after marriage is it plateaus and flat lines, Whereas if you're healthy, you can continue to rise. And then commitment to, Obviously it spikes here, right? And then continues to be committed at the, at the highest level if you're in a healthy marriage. That makes sense, right? All of this stuff is pretty simple. But I just wanted you to see like the three kind of the, the parts and what, what happens if you have a, only a small combination rather than all, okay? Now, again, this is all choice, okay? All right, so why, 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 why wait? Because now you have a higher view of marriage. Uh, you have a higher view of sex that, of course, is protected by marriage, right? Because Jesus had a high view of sex because you know what sex means and what sex does in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. Now, if you are not a Christian, you do not believe the spark, the imago Dei, the divine, the transcendence, all that stuff. If you don't believe any of that stuff, it's still, it's still beneficial to have a higher view of sex than a lower view of sex. Because the very fact of the matter is, when you have two consenting adults, to say that it does not affect you is a farce. Because the fact of the matter is, like if you consider um, uh, actually pornography, when you have a woman that is an a uh, uh, um, actress as in a porn, right? And she is a consenting adult. She is being paid to have sexual intercourse with other people, right? To say that doesn't affect her in any way, or even the guy, you know, because some guys think, oh, it'd be great to be in a porn, whatever, but it affects them too because it changes their view of sex, right? There's just something about it. Sexual abuse is children. It means something. It's huge. People deal with that for the rest of their life, right? Sex is a super, super powerful thing, and just to cheapen it, right? Just to cheapen it is a huge mistake. So even if you're not a Christian, don't believe any of that stuff, okay? Um, So so what's the best way to wait? Don't date. I know this is really unpopular. In fact, uh, most pastors and churches, they will preach the opposite than I do. Do a lot of youth pastors I know, uh, they think this is just a part of adolescence. You guys growing up in high school, everybody dates. But I don't agree, and I'm not saying that this is a hard line rule. And if you're dating in here, I'm going to, you know, tell Jesus to rip you apart. I wouldn't do that, right? But I don't think it is wise, because there's not there's this commitment that cannot happen, not in high school right? Even my best friends, they disagree with me. So I want you to think that what I'm saying is not, not gospel truth about like not dating until you're older. And in fact, some of the students uh, that, I, that I, you know, discipled before you guys, your generation, they think I ruined their life because I told them not to date. And so they don't know how to deal with boys. <laughs> but I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think I saved them from a lot. Number two, we don't want to bring the baggage and brokenness into our marriage if we can help it. Wait, did I say that already? No, no, don't date. I'm oh, sorry, what's the best way to wait? Don't date. And number two, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm wrong, okay, date in groups. Date in groups, don't, don't be alone together. Jenny's like, I can date? No. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're already dating, then, then be, be held accountable. Don't, don't let the intimacy become passion. You get what I'm saying? Don't let the intimacy become passion. Um, I know for my, myself, when I was dating in high school, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It was very hard for me, right? But if you are saying, you know, I'm going to date anyway, Howard, you're an idiot, I hate you, um, then at least date in groups. Don't be alone together, okay? Um, and then if you can't stop being physical, then you might want to think about why you're dating in the first place. Because you're not ready. You're probably not ready. If you're, if you're so physical and you cannot stop you're probably not ready for a relationship at that point. right? Or you should just get married really fast. Actually, Paul says in the Bible, it's better to to uh, get married than to burn with passion. So Paul's really a really practical man. I like that guy. The Apostle Paul. All right. So is that good? Does everybody understand where I'm coming from? Um, so don't think... I'm not, I'm not a cult leader. This is not like I command you to do all this stuff. It's like you pray through it. You ask God what you should do and how you should, how you should continue forward in your dating relationships or whether you should date or not. Is that good? Alright? And if you're in college and you're ready, you're, like, you're at the stage where you're ready to be married and you're, you're, you're good, you're stable, all that stuff, then, then go for it, man. Get married. Have babies. Bunch of Christian babies. Tell them about Jesus and get them like become missionaries and change the world. Yeah? Alright, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for... Oh... Man, sex is so awesome, God. Thank you for making it. I just pray that you would help us all to develop such a high view of sex and that we could just share that, that understanding with others, Lord, that, that our children would understand the, the beauty that you have created by creating mankind to need one another in relationship, the two becoming one how you transcend even when we don't necessarily feel your presence on a daily basis, that even in the moment of sex, to know, God, that you created this in love for us so that we could understand in our relationship your love for us, your love for the church. I just thank you, Lord, how everything just centers around pointing to you when it is in right relationship, when it is in the right boundaries. Lord, help this generation to be a generation that is so full of a high view of sex that marriages continue to flourish, statistics begin to plummet, Lord, where people would have healthy children, their children would grow up loving you and praising you. Lord, I thank you that you can do these things. And I just pray for those in here that have lost their virginity already. Lord, I just pray that you would remind them, God, that you are bigger than our mistakes. You are bigger than our failures. You are bigger than, 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 uh, than anything that we could do or Satan could try to destroy our lives. That you return to wholeness, God, the things that we break or that Satan breaks in our lives. And so help us to trust you. Help us to be encouraged knowing that, that from this day on, Lord, if we change our minds and refuse to be uh, sex out of commitment, Lord, that you would ret- ret- return us to wholeness. And I just thank you, God, for all the people in here in this room. God, remind them of your faithfulness and to, 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 for them to depend on you and not just themselves. We just thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Offering bucket is right there on the way out. Offering bucket.